This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. So today we are discussing David HaMelech, King David, and the famous story of David and Bathsheba, which we have to discuss, who are these people, who is David, who is Bathsheba, we all know who King David was, we talked about it, uh, many hours uh, spent on his life, he was uh, the Messiah, the, the Messiah, the person who was appointed, anointed by the prophet Samuel, uh, Shmuel Navi anointed him with a flask of oil, which is what Mashiach means, anointed one. And he was chosen by God to be the second king of Israel after King Saul and to be the, the to form the messianic line. So David Amelech is going to start the messianic line of kings, the kings of the Davidic dynasty or dynasty, depends where you come from in the world. And uh, so very, very important figure. He wrote the book of Psalms with Ruach HaKodesh. He had Ruach HaKodesh, which means the Holy Spirit rested on David. He was a very holy individual. We have only good things to say, and there was only one episode where he seems to have failed. So David Amela seems to have failed in this episode, which we're going to talk about. Did he fail? Did he not fail? Was it considered a big failure, a small failure? Failure. Let's just discuss this. And we have a range of opinions, but the most damning opinion is the opinion which is brought down in the actual Nach, in the Vim, in the book of Samuel 2. In the book of Samuel 2, there are two chapters dedicated to the story. So let's discuss. There are two chapters, chapter 11 and chapter 12 in Samuel 2, which is very interesting to read, and it's uh, pretty damning. It's pretty, uh, David Amela gets a very bad rap. David Amela, King David, gets a very bad rap. He is portrayed as an adulterer. He is portrayed as a murderer. Terry, terrible things. Um, and, we, and we're going to see that God is very upset with him. He is going to be punished. We're going to talk about terrible punishments that David Amelech received, not just David Amelech, the progeny of David Amelech, the sons and the grandsons. Uh, the sword will not depart from the family of David because of his sin. It's a terrible sin. So we see on the one side that the uh, Torah does not mince any words, castigating David, which we're going to talk about. And on the other hand, the Torah uh, tells us that he married Bathsheba. Now, if you commit adultery with a woman, if a man commits adultery with a woman or vice versa, they're not allowed to marry ever. They're never allowed to marry. And their children are what's called mamzerim, which are illegitimate, uh, not the uh, secular illegitimacy of being born out of wedlock. It's worse. A mamzer in Jewish law is the product of an adulterous or incestuous relationship only. Incestuous or adulterous relationships only. And the mamzer is not allowed to marry another Jewish girl, except another mamzer. Um, and the penalties are terrible for a mamzer. We don't pray for the mamzer to live. Imagine the mamzer, the breed of a mamzer, we don't pray for the mamzer to live. And here we see that King David was allowed to marry Bathsheba which tells us automatically that it is not considered adultery. Number two is his son from a Bathsheba, his second son from Bathsheba, the first son dies, that's part of the punishment. The second son 
is King Solomon. So not only was he not considered a mamzer, he was the king of Israel. He was the second king from the Davidic dynasty or dynasty of kings of David. So we see over there, it was definitely not considered by God to be adultery. If it was adultery, he would never have been allowed to marry But a very important point that people miss. If an adulterous case, a woman who has committed adultery or a man who commits adultery, they never marry each other forever. They're never allowed to marry each other. They're never allowed to marry each other. And Hashem would never have committed them to marry if it was a case of adultery. Anyway, I'm giving away the whole story, but let's just go into it. But anyway, we see that the Torah does castigate David. King David is castigated. It seems like he's an adulterer. The story seems to say he was an adulterer. The story also seems to say he caused the murder of Bathsheba's husband, Uriah HaChiti, which we're going to discuss who was Uriah HaChiti. We have a range of opinions. Uh, today I found this Rambam, amazing Rambam, who says Uriah HaChiti was not even Jewish, in which case the Rambam says she was not married to him legally. It was not a Jewish marriage. A Jewish girl cannot marry a non-Jew. So there's no such thing as technical. There's no halakhic uh, marriage between a Jew and a non-Jew. And therefore, she was not his wife. And that answers all the questions. According to Rambam, it's very clear. But Sheba was not the wife of Uriah. So why is it considered adultery? It was a kind of moral lapse on the part of David. Everyone considered her his wife. And therefore, he should not have got involved in, in the whole case. We're going to talk about this. It's, it's very convoluted. We're going to talk. Let's go straight to the text. The text does not lie. <laughs> the text does not lie. The text insinuates all the bad things about King David. Let's just go through the story itself. So this is a, a story which is written in black and white in Samuel. Uh, two chapters, 11 and 12, two chapters of the Tanakh are about the story of David and Bathsheba. And we know that David, he was uh, staying at home, which is a big mistake. We're going to see his army was out there fighting Ammon. The army was out there. The army of Israel is fighting. His general, Yoab ben Surya, his nephew, his own nephew, Surya was his sister. Yoab ben Surya, his nephew, was the general of the army. They're out there fighting the Ammonites. Not just the Ammonites, the other, the other kings who joined the Ammonites against uh, Israel. And Israel was like uh, the, the up-and-coming power at that time. And everyone was scared. They were joining up against Israel. And the Ark of God was out there in the field. We're going to see... Where there was a war, they took the ark with them as they, they did against the Philistines and the Philistines conquered the ark. We see, we, we talked about that already. The ark came back and here they're taking the ark with the Ten Commandments inside all the way to fight the Ammonites. Yoab ben Surya, the general, is there with the army and the mighty warriors. And what is David doing at home? That's one of the things that we're going to see that the commentaries castigate King David. His army is in the front. The king's job was to lead the army. One of the jobs of the king was to lead the army. Normally, David was the head of the army. So in this case, he actually decided to stay home. And the rabbi said, you know, one of the reasons why he failed over here was because he stayed at home. He should have gone with the army. And would he would have kept out of mischief at home. Imagine his army is fighting. And he is going up to the roof. That's what the Torah tells us. He went up to the roof. Obviously, it was a hot night. He goes up to the roof. And somehow the Midrash says a bird smashed the window of this bathroom that this beautiful woman, the Torah emphasizes she was beautiful, but Sheva uh, was taking a, a bath. 
the rabbis say she wasn't only taking a bath, she was going to the mikvah. She was purifying herself from nida status. And he sees this beautiful woman and he goes crazy. Can you imagine? David HaMelech, the king of Israel, sees this beautiful woman and he desires her. That is a simple explanation which we're going to talk about. So right now, I'm just giving you the simple explanation as brought down by the text. This is exactly what the text tells us. And then he goes back to his uh, servants. He says, who is this woman, this gorgeous woman over there? They tell her, they tell him, her name is Bathsheba. She was the wife of Uriah Hakiti, the Hittite. Uriah the Hittite. Uh, what does that mean? We're going to talk about the different, different uh, from the level of the Rambam. The Rambam says he was an actual Hittite. He was not Jewish. To the others, they know he was a Jew who lived amongst the Hittites and kept his religion. He was a, a good Jew. Um, and so what happens is he calls he calls this girl Bathsheba, this married woman. Bathsheba seems she was married. He invites her over and he sleeps with her. And he makes her pregnant. Oh, gosh. So all this is when her husband, Uriah, is fighting the war on behalf of the king and behalf of Israel. Uriah, the Hittite, is one of the 37 great mighty warriors, which we're going to talk about, of of King David. King David had 37 mighty warriors, which are mentioned explicitly by name. And one of them was this man, Uriah, the Hittite, obviously was involved with the army. And he had fighting the sons of Ammon. And in order to hide his actions, King David sends for Uriah the Hittite to come back from the army from the war and go and sleep with his wife. This way he will hide the fact that he was, she was uh, pregnant from David. They could, he could say, it wasn't me, it was his her husband came back and slept with her. And what happens is that Uriah comes back and refuses to sleep with his own wife. He says, how can I sleep with my wife when the ark of God is in the fields and Yoab, Ben Surya, which we're going to talk about, was the general, he's the, my master, is in the field and the people of Israel are fighting the Ammonites. How can I go home and eat and drink and sleep with my wife? I refuse. Basically, he refused the order of the king, which is considered rebellion. It's considered treason to refuse that some, some of the rabbis are going to see the commentaries tell us that he was liable to death penalty for being treasonous to the king, refusing the king's direct order and referring to the general of the army, Yoav, as my master. He's talking to the king and he's telling, he's telling him, my master, Yoav, and he point blank tells the king, I will not listen to you. So this is treason. This is rebellion. He is liable to death penalty anyway. And so David was within his own rights to kill him, according to some opinions we're going to talk about. And however, the way he did it was wrong. He should have sent him to the Sanhedrin, that a king is not allowed to take the law into his own hands. There's a Sanhedrin, there's a, there's a base of law and order in Israel. The king is not above the law, the king is under the law. He should have sent him to the judges. You know, he could have accused him to the judges and said, listen, this guy does not listen to me. He's treasonous and uh, kill it. So he didn't do that. King David took the law into his own hands. What does he do? He sends him back to the front lines and tells Yoab ben Seruya, the general, have him killed, have him sent to the front lines in a dangerous mission and have him killed. And that's what happened. Uriah gets killed. And now King David goes and takes his wife officially and marries Bathsheba, 
and uh, straight away Hashem sends the prophet Nathan, Natan Hanavi, to rebuke David. Natan Hanavi tells David a, a story, a parable, and David pronounces a death penalty on himself. He doesn't know he's talking about himself. He was talking about the guy in the parable, which we're going to talk about. And uh, they were both punished, David and Bathsheba. They lost their first son and other things which we're going to talk about now. So that's basically the whole story and outline. And let's just go now. So the Torah itself exaggerates the crimes of David. Even though he's the king of Israel, the Torah goes out of its way like many great people. The Torah does not hide the sins of the great. And not only does it not hide it, it magnifies the sins of great people. It magnifies it. And this is a theme right through the Torah. It's interesting. It's the only holy book that I know of where the crimes of its own heroes are mentioned in great detail. You don't find this in any other holy book. You won't find it in the New Testament. You won't find this in, in the Quran that they would ever talk about the sins and the mistakes of their greats. This is one of the proofs that the Torah is true because it's written without any embellishments of our heroes. Our heroes are portrayed in real life or worse, they're portrayed with embellishments on the evil things they did. For example, Reuven sleeps with his wife's and with, his, with the wife of uh, his father, Jacob, he slept with Bilhah, it says, one of the wives of Jacob. And the rabbis say he didn't really sleep, sleep with her. There's, there's many cases in the Torah where the sins are embellished on and magnified instead of being minimized. Any other holy book would minimize them, wouldn't even mention them. Our holy book goes through all our heroes and talks about their mistakes for us to learn from there. God is the king. We are all human beings. We all make mistakes. Even Moses says he hit the rock. He got angry with the Jewish people. He made a mistake. He lost going into Israel because of that. So our greats make mistakes and the Torah magnifies the mistakes. So here the Torah does not spare any mints, any words. It exaggerates the stricture of what King David did. And uh, we're going to see that uh, all the commentaries, the famous commentaries have to talk, address this various uh, things, the various sins that King David was accused of. And we're going to see many different opinions. Uh, sort of, He's accused of adultery, very serious crime. He was accused of murder, very serious crime. And maximum, he was accused of being unethical, which is like the worst thing you can accuse someone of. Being unethical, he stole the wife of Uriah, who was fighting a war on his behalf. He kills Uriah in a very underhanded way, not through a legal way. And everything was done in an underhanded, unethical fashion, which is like the worst thing you can accuse the king of Israel. Uh, so interesting. Uh, so let's uh, see how the sin is magnified many times. So um, so uh, this is a war. They're fighting Ammon. And uh, the army is fighting Ammon. And David refused to go. He stayed home. And he made this big error. He sees this beautiful woman. He falls with a beautiful woman. So chapter 11 of Samuel 2 starts the story. And it talks about the war. So this is going on in the middle of a war. Can you imagine this, this event is going on in the middle of a war. And the war is the background information. There's a war going on. And you think the king in the middle of the war. What King David should be doing in the middle of war? He should be either fighting with the troops. Or he should be praying hard. He should be saying to Ilim. Instead of which he's getting into mischief. 
with this woman, Batsheva. So again, something which is exaggerated over here is his crime is exaggerated, magnified. It's the middle of a war. And instead of doing mitzvot, instead of doing uh, pray, he has to go and sin with this woman, this beautiful woman, someone else, his wife, as the Torah mentions. So it's really, it's, uh, and uh, let's just read this, some of the psukim over here. Vahil, the Shubat, Hashanah, Eid, Seta, Melachim, Vahishlach, David, Yoabit, Abadavimo. So the kings all joined in with the Ammonites. The foreign kings joined up the Ammonites to fight Israel. King David sends Yoab and his servants and, and the army of Israel to fight the sons of Ammon. And they went and they besieged the capital city of Ammon, which was called Rabbah. And David stayed in Yerushalayim. That's what the Torah tells us. David stayed in Yerushalayim. He didn't go to the war. And uh, from the chronology of the story, we can figure out that David Amelech was about approximately 47 years old. He was 47 years old. And he stayed in Yerushalayim. He did not go with the army, which is very strange. That's what the rabbis tell us that it caused him to sin. The fact that he didn't go with the army. That his, his place was with the army. He didn't go. He should have gone with the army instead of which he stayed home and he got into mischief. And uh, so now, who was this Bathsheba? Number one, let's talk a bit about Bathsheba. Who was she? The, 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 the Pasuk says, Tovak Mare Meon. She was gorgeous. She was beautiful. She was very beautiful. And her name was Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam. That's how she's described. She's the daughter of Eliam. Eliam, my God, the people, people's God. And she was the wife of Uriah the Hittite. And Uriah Hitti is mentioned as one of the 37 great mighty warriors of King David. And so the end of the book of Samuel, he is mentioned explicitly by name among the 37 great warriors of David. And also, he's also mentioned in Devrei Hayamim, which is another book of the, of the Tanakh, of Chronicles. And, over, and she's also mentioned there by a different name. It's interesting. So over there, she is mentioned as Batshua, uh, Bat Amiel. So her name is distorted over there. It's interesting. And instead of Batsheva, she's known as Batshua. Her father's name is Eliam over here, and over there is Amiel, which is the reverse. Eliam becomes Amiel, but it's the same person. The rabbi said it's the same person over here in the book of Samuel. She has two sons. The first son dies, and the second son is Solomon, which is Shlomo Amelech. And over there in the book of Debrayamim, she has four sons. The rabbis tell us three sons die because of a sin, and only Shlomo survived. So she had four sons. One survives. Over here, she had two sons and one survived. So different versions of the same story in two different places in the same Tanakh, in the same books of the Bible. And we see over there, so it was slightly disguised in the other book. Now, who was her grandfather? Very interesting. Her grandfather's name is mentioned as Achitofel. Achitofel was one of the great advisors of David who rebelled against David and joined the rebellion of David's son, Absalom, against David. So Achitophel, why did he rebel against David? Well, he loved David. They got along. He was the advisor to David. Why did he rebel against David? Some people say because of this. Because David sinned with his granddaughter. And how many grandfathers will forgive anyone fooling around with their granddaughter? So Achitophel rebels 
joins the rebellion of David's son Absalom against David. Later on, we're going to see. Hopefully, we'll get to it. We'll talk about it. Um, but now we can understand the background of why did Ahitophel rebel against David. David fooled around with Ahitophel's granddaughter. Ahitophel was not happy. So it's cause for rebellion eventually. We're going to see Ahitophel joins the rebellion against David. So Bathsheba was a very beautiful woman. She had very big yechus, which means she came from a good lineage. She was the daughter of one of the mighty warriors. Eliam was also made one of the 37 great warriors of Israel. And her husband, Uriah Hitti, was also a great warrior of Israel. And her grandfather was the advisor to the king. Ahitophel was the advisor to the king. So from great lineage, fitting for a king. She was a wife fitting for a king. And unfortunately, he didn't take, do go about it the right way. He did not go about it. David did not go about it the right way, which we have to talk about. So David wakes up one night. It's a hot night. He goes to his palace roof. And over there, he sees this woman, Bathsheba, having a bath or going to the mikvah. He finds out who she is. They tell him who it is. He sends messengers to take her and bring her to him. Now, we don't know. Probably, was she raped? Was she not raped? She came. The kings asked for her to come. She goes. We don't know what exactly was in her mind. Uh, but, but shortly after that, she sends a message to David that she's pregnant. So shortly after that, he knows that she is pregnant. And he sends for her husband, Uriah, to come back from the war. So I just want to read that pasuk for you. He slept with her, and she was sanctified from her impurity of being Nida, we talked about. And so therefore, now we know exactly who the father is of this baby. It was David, he was the father. He wanted to hide his sin. He calls Uriah from the fight in order to go back to his house to sleep with his wife. And uh, we're going to see Uriah replies, he refuses to go. And he says, Aaron of Israel, the the Ark of God, the army of Israel and Judah are sitting in, in huts in a war. And my master, Yoav, who said he's got in trouble, my master, Yoav, he calls Yoav the general, his master, talking to the king. And the servants of, the, of, your, of my master are on the fields camping, and I will go into my house to eat and drink, to sleep with my wife. By your life, not a good thing to tell the king. By the life of your soul, he may say to the Lord, if I should do this thing. In other words, he's swearing by the king's life to rebel against the king, to refuse the king's instructions. Now, the big question, the million dollar question is, did Uriah suspect the king of any hanky-panky? We don't know. It's a question. We have no idea. Some countries say yes, that he suspected something fishy going on between his wife and the king. Why did the king want to go back home so badly? Called him back from the war to go back home to his wife. He refused to be part of the cover-up. So that is a very good question, a very interesting idea. We have no idea. Was uh, uh, Uriah refusing because there was a war going on? He didn't want to be part of the, uh, enjoying himself while there's a war going on. And, uh, or, or did he suspect something underhand going on between David and his wife? We have no idea. But the Torah just tells us he refused to go back to his wife because he gave a good reason. There's a war going on. I can't enjoy myself while the people of Israel are fighting our, our enemies. And this, David Amir tries again, invites him to the banquet, and tries to get him drunk to send him back to his wife. 
And again, he refuses, instead of which he stays outside the king's palace, sleeping outside the king's palace as a guard to the king. So instead of going back to his house, enjoying himself, he stays outside the palace. You see a very dedicated individual, Uriah, was a dedicated individual, dedicated to his mission. He was a true soldier. He bore one of the mighty warriors of the king and who rebelled against the king, did not listen to instructions. And the king, now what the king does is something very underhand. This is why Hashem got really mad is because he writes this note to Yoab, the general, telling him to put Uriah in the front lines of the war in the most dangerous place and make sure he gets killed. So now he sends this message by the hand of Uriah himself. Can you imagine? Uriah is carrying his own death warrant in his hands without even knowing, taking back this message to Yoav, the general, this message to have him killed. Can you imagine? He's the one carrying the message. Terrible, terrible, terrible. So Uriah goes back. He takes the message to Yoav. Yoav puts Uriah on the front lines. Uriah gets killed. And Yoav sends back a message. I, you know, Uriah got killed. Don't worry, we lost some men. I put them in the front lines. Don't get angry with me. But you have to know that Uriah got killed. Okay, so that's the death of Uriah. And straight away, Hashem gets very angry. And Hashem sends a message. He sends Natan Hanavi. So Batsheva sits, sits in mourning. She's mourning seven days mourning for her husband. Soon as she gets up from morning for her husband, which is, by the way, seven days, altogether 30 days, she gets up. She gets up from morning, and David takes her into his house, and she has, she gives birth to their son, and his name, the baby's name is not mentioned. The baby never had a name. Which is, why did the baby not have a name? That was the baby born sick straight away. That's what it seems. He never, never had time to give a man. He probably never had a breed. We don't know. And he never had a name because his name is not mentioned. Straight away comes Natana Navi, chapter 11, ends off. And it was evil what David did in the eyes of God. He did evil in the eyes of God. Not a good thing to do, by the way. Never do evil in the eyes of God. It's dangerous, scary, has repercussions. And uh, God sends Natan Hanavi, one of the prophets at that time, Nathan, 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 and the prophet. Natan uses this amazing parable. Oh, we have to talk about the parable. There was a rich man and a poor man. The rich man had everything, multiples cattle, sheep, goats, and the poor man only had one goat. And the poor man had everything he had, all the milk, all the money he made was from that goat. And the goat became like his friend, in a sense. The goat was his best friend. And the rich man has a, a guest. And the rich man says, you know, what a waste to give my guests some of my meat. I won't check my own goats, my own sheep for the rich man. I'm going to take the poor man's goat for the rich man, to eat, so for, for my guests to eat. I'm going to take the poor man's goat, kill the poor man's goat, and give the meat to the rich man, sorry, to my guest, the rich man's guest to eat. It's not only just for himself. It's, also, it's only for his guest to eat. So he takes the poor man's goat, and he gives the rich, the, his guest, to eat from the poor man's goat, and the poor man now is left bereft with nothing to provide for him. Nothing, no food, no milk, no nothing to sell, nothing to provide for him. What should be done with this rich man? That is the question that Natan Hanavi poses. 
to King David. And what does King David say? Something very harsh. You know, this is a very interesting point that Arizal brings. He says, whenever we judge others, we have to know we are judging ourselves. In other words, Arizal says, we judge ourselves. What does that mean? Hashem brings a similar story that happened to someone else that we ourselves are involved in. And he's, he gives it, poses a question to us, how are we going to judge the situation? So we see other people doing certain things. We say, oh, that guy, he's a real bad guy. Uh, he should really get punished very badly. And Hashem turns this to us in the next world. They'll say, listen, you said this about so-and-so. You did the same thing and so-and-so is deserved. You, what, you committed, what you said should happen to him is going to happen to you. So interesting, the same thing. And that's exactly what, what Natan did to David. He posed this question, this hypothetical case. And David says, this rich man should be killed. Big mistake. Never say that. <laughs> Never judge others because we don't know that man could be us. And we could be judging ourselves. And David said the man should be killed and he should have to pay four times restitution to the poor man for the goat. And he should be killed. And Natan turns to David and says, you are the rich man. You just accuse this. You you are the one I'm talking about. You are the one who took the poor man's goat. What does that mean? Uriah only had one wife. You have many wives. You took the poor man's goat. His wife, his wife is the beauty of his life. The one he relied on to provide for him. And you took his goat. You stole it. And you, you slaughtered it. You gave it to your guest. So now the story doesn't exactly match. The Ramam asks this question in Moreno Mochim, in the Guide to the Perplex, he says, the story doesn't really match, right? Because David doesn't take the, the, his the Bacheva for his guest. He takes Bacheva for himself. So how, who's this guest? And the answer, he gives an amazing answer of rationalization. You know, essentially, the Ramam says that when Adam and Eve sinned with the snake, the snake, you know, who's the snake, the Ramam asks. The snake says, this Nahash, is koach anichush. It's our imagination. The imagination of man is called a snake. Why is it a snake? Because our imagination always twists things around, rationalizes things, can twist things around completely. So if Hashem says, don't eat the fruit, he has an ulterior motive. Hashem is trying to control us. So the power of rationalization is called a nahash. Snake is proverbial. Snake is our power of rationalizations. He says, David rationalized He's doing Bathsheba a favor. He's taking her from uh, this guy, Uriah the Hittite, who is a nobody, and he's going to give him to his guest, who is his guest. He's going to elevate her to the queen. He's doing her a favor. He's doing the world a favor. She's fit for a king. She is fit to have the the king's uh, son. Why should she be wasted? It's in a sense that we rationalize the whole thing. This beautiful woman should not be wasted on Uriah. she She should be mine. You should be my guest. I'm elevating her. So it was uh, like he's doing her a favor. It was for a third party. It wasn't for himself. It wasn't like I'm doing this for myself. I'm doing this for her. Yeah, I'm going to elevate her. I'm doing, I'm doing her a chesed. I'm doing kindness for her. I'm doing kindness for a progeny. I'm going to make them kings. So that's how the Ramam explains this third party. Who is this guest? Otherwise, it's a big problem. Why did he give us example? He's taking the, the goat for his guest. He's really taking the goat for himself. So that's the answer the Ramam gives. Very interesting answer that we rationalize. Whatever we do, we rationalize. We make it into a tremendous mitzvah. It's an act of kindness for a third party. It's not for me. I'm doing this for no ulterior motives. 
is purely Lashem Shamayim and doing this for the sake of heaven. So what happens is, Natan says the story, and David sentences this guy to death, hypothetically, and then he says, you are the man, you are that man. Now, anyone else would start giving excuses, and this is the greatness of King David, is he says straight away, Hatati Lashem, I have sinned to God. Straight away, without any arguments, he hears the story, pronounces judgment, and Natan says, you are the guy, and David says, I have sinned to God. Now listen to the words, I have sinned to God. He doesn't say I've sinned to man. He didn't say I sinned to Uriah, I sinned to Bathsheba, I sinned to Achitophel. He says, I sinned to God. What does that mean? And that is something which the Talmud is going to talk about which is very interesting because that's in the text. You can't argue with the text. I've said before, you cannot argue with the text. Our job is to explain and to try and understand the text. So we have a few problems with the text. Number one problem with the text is staring us in the face. We said before, if a person commits adultery, they're not allowed to marry. The adulterers are never allowed to marry each other. Natan does not tell David to divorce Bacheva and throw her out because he's an adulterer. He can't marry her. He doesn't say that. He leaves them in the same status. They're allowed to stay married. That is halakhically impossible for adulterers. That's number one. Number two, Atan does not say your child is a mamzer. He doesn't say that. And even though the child dies, Atan knows that he's not a mamzer. He can't say the child is a mamzer. Why not? Number three, when David says, I've sinned, why does he only say, I've sinned to God? Like he sinned to man. He sinned with Bathsheba. He sinned with Uriah. He killed the... uh, a, a very innocent person. Why? What's, why? Why does he say I only sin to God? So these are the questions that point to something much less and much less sinister. And here we can see how the Torah is magnifying the sin of its heroes, which is amazing. As we pointed out, no other holy book does that. So now, straight away, let us go to different explanations. So the greatness of David was. He turns to Yahweh David Natan, Khatati Lashem, I sin to God. So now Natan promises him certain punishments. Natan says, Hashem will not kill you. But what happens is your son who is born from Bathsheba is going to die. And straight away, as soon as Natan goes, the child, the baby has become sick. And a terrible sickness on the verge of death. David Melech is praying, he's fasting, he's sleeping on the ground to annul this this, uh, terrible decree against his son. However, it says on the seventh day from the sickness, the child dies. And the servants of David are, are scared to tell David the child died. They're seeing how David is mourning and crying and praying and falling on the floor and fasting. They say, listen, if we tell him his child died, he's already out of his mind. He's going to go crazy. He's going to die himself. So David hears the muttering that Gwana says, and he asks them, what are you muttering about? So the child died. And straight away it says, David went and he stopped screaming and crying. He went, he took a shower, he took a shave, and he says, Baruch Dayan, I met, I accept God's decree. As long as he was alive, I could pray. I could try and change the decree, but now he's died. I have to accept Hashem's decree. And that is, by the way, that's how we have to respond to, unfortunately, any sad situations. Uh, maybe we never know the best Rashi. He changed his clothes and uh, got up and he ate and drank. 
And uh, so she got pregnant again, Baruch Hashem. But the other punishment was, it says, he tells him, the sword will not depart from your house. There's going to be terrible uh, tragedies in your own household. We're going to see his son, Amnon. He's going to sin with Tamar. We're going to see terrible things in the future. David, Abshalom, his son, is going to rebel against him. Amnon dies, is killed by Abshalom. Abshalom dies, is killed by Yoab. So the sword does not depart from his house for generations to come because of what he did to Uriah, which we say is even though Uriah was liable at death penalty, he was not killed in the right way. He should have been sent to the Sanhedrin. And David did it in a very underhanded way. He killed him using the, the army, the war, in a terrible way. So anyway, so the story ends with this uh, Natan and Ravi coming, David Amelas admits his crime, Hatati Hashem. The chapter ends with, the, in, on a good note in a sense for Klal Israel, is that Yoab is victorious, he beats the enemy Ammon and the, all the other kings that joined Ammon and one of the wars to end the wars. Okay, so the war to end wars. And however, later on we're gonna see that there's trouble inside David's own family, Amnon and Tamar, the Absalom rebellion of Absalom, and these are things that get up, he's going to say. So son dies. He's going to rebellious in his own family. There's going to be troubles in his own family. Um, his friend is going to sleep with David's wives. That's one of the punishments. Absalom eventually slept with David's wives. He managed to them captive. He, slept, he raped them. Terrible, terrible things are going to happen. So that was all the punishment for David. Now, let's go now to the Talmud. And the Talmud is now going to sort of give reasons why this is not adultery. Why is it not adultery? So I have to go to the Talmud. There's two or three places in the Talmud um, where the discusses these cases. So one of them is a famous case in Shabbat, Dafnun Vav 56. The Talmud says that in the time of King David, before a man went to war, they would divorce their wives. Why would they divorce their wives? Because if they were missing in action, the wife would be what's called an aguna. So the aguna, we know there's an aguna crisis, men who do not divorce their wives, women who do not want to get divorced from their husbands. It works both ways. So today it works both ways. A man who won't divorce his wife, she's stuck. That's why the rabbanu in Israel can put a man in jail for not divorcing his wife. They can put him financial penalties. They can take away his passport. They have many amazing abilities to force the man to divorce his wife. Otherwise, she's considered what's called an aguna. If a man is missing in action, you know, after the Yom Kippur War, there are lots of people missing in action. And all these cases came to Rabbi Ovadio Yosef. And he worked for two years or so to clear these cases and allow the women to get married. Same thing happened with the World Trade Center. There were some, I think, six or seven Jews missing. They didn't know what happened to them. The cases went to Rabbi Ovadio Yosef. And he found ways to allow the women to get married by sort of proving that the husbands died. He had to know for sure the husbands died. He, he used all kinds of proofs to prove the husband died. I had a case in my own community of a woman who was, uh, I can't tell you where, it's total Lashonara, and her husband refused to divorce her, sent the case to Rabbi Abad Yosef. We found that the witnesses in the wedding were not kosher witnesses. They were not Shomer Shabbat. And he said that the wedding was not a valid wedding. And he allowed her to remarry. Unfortunately, she was very older. And anyway, so that's interesting because uh, these are cases, what's called aguna. So in those days, to alleviate these cases, to prevent these cases, 
a person who went to war in the time of David Melech would already give his wife a get before he went to the war. That's one opinion in the Gemara. So Uriah had already divorced his wife, um, um, Bathsheba, and that's why it was not considered adultery. He divorced her before he left. And David was trying to get him to come back, remarry her after he had already made a pregnant. This way he would cover his tracks and people would say it wasn't his baby, it wasn't David's baby, it was Uriah's baby. But the fact is that Uriah already divorced her and therefore she was not a married woman. There was no adultery involved. What was involved was it was not moral. She was designated. Everyone knew that when he, you know, the guy divorced his wife before he goes to war, when he comes back, he remarries her. She's designated for him. No one else has a right to go and interfere. Otherwise, they'd be totally uh, out of control. And David did this terrible thing to his own warrior and his own army. He fools around with the guy's former wife, future wife. There was a divorce. Now, Tosfut says over there that the divorce was on condition that she, the guy would not come back. And it, it was worse. So in a sense, she was still married to him until he doesn't come back, which means until he was killed. Now we understand why David really wanted to have Uriah get killed is because if Uriah wasn't killed, there was no divorce. The divorce would only be valid if Uriah would not come back. That's according to Tosfot, which makes things much worse. But the fact is that according to this Gemara, it was not considered adultery. But the proof is already in the text. The fact that David was allowed to remain with Bathsheba, Hashem did not tell him to divorce Bathsheba, which I'm sure Hashem would have said, Natan and Abi would have said, divorce her, you're an adulterer, she's adulterous, you have to each other, never allowed to marry each other. The fact is, they were allowed to marry each other, and the fact is that Shlomo Melech was allowed to be the king. It wasn't a mamzer, a mamzer cannot be a king, so he was allowed to be a king, which proves that it was not adultery. It was not adultery. Okay, that's number one. That's what the Gemara says. It was number one, it was not considered adultery. So, what else was there? Murder. So, the Gemara says that Uriah had committed treason by refusing the king's order to go back to his wife. By saying that Yoav is my master, and by swearing by the life of the king, I will not listen to you in a sense. Rebellion, utter rebellion, treason. What was the sin? It was the sin was not murder. The sin was not going through the right channels. Did not go through the Sanhedrin. Did not go through the Sanhedrin. So, so that, I just want to quote to you the Gemara. This Gemara in Shabbat Nun Vav. Amar Rabbi Shmuel Bar Nachmani, Amar Rabbi Yonatan, Kol Haomer David Chata Ena Whoever says King David's sin is making a mistake, as it says, Vahi David Bechol Rachab Maskil Vashem Imo. Because we're going to see later on, the Torah says that David was smart, was wise in all his ways, and God was with him. How can God be with him if he's a murderer and adulterer? How can God be with him? So we see that David, and for the Gemara's proof, is that if God was with him, how could it be adulterer and a murderer? And he could, uh, so his sin was magnified, this Talmud says. His sin was magnified many times over, like many other people's sins in the Torah and in the Vim. The sins were magnified. They were not as bad. Reuben did not sleep with his father's wife. Hasbush Shalom, the rabbis say, he switched the beds that when, when Yaakov's wife, uh, Rachel, died, uh, he Yaakov put Bilhaz a bed in his tent. Now, Bilhaz was one of the maids. And Reuven was the son of Leah. Reuven got upset. Leah was the main wife. Leah's bed should be in Yaakov's tent. Reuven took the bed of Bilhaz out of the tent of Yaakov and put Bilhaz 
bed instead. And Yaakov got very upset. You're fooling around my personal life. You're fooling around my intimacy. And it was considered as if uh, Reuben slept with Bilha. That's what the Torah says. Reuben slept with Bilha. The rabbis say he didn't sleep with Bilha. There's many cases. The, the Gemara talks about many cases over here. Also, whoever says so-and-so sinned is making a mistake. And one of the cases is Reuben. One of the cases is David. So uh, the Gemara also says that one of the descendants of King David himself is going to come and, and uh, defend his, his ancestor. Who is the descendant of King David? Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi, Rabbi Judah the Prince, who was the editor of the Mishnah, about 200 CE, Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi, who comes from King David. He's one of the descendants of King David. He himself will give merit for David. Madua Bazita Devar Hashem Lasot Haraf. So Natan Lavi says, why have you disgraced the word of God to do evil? So Rebbe says, This evil is different from all the other evils in the Torah. Why? All the other evils in the Torah, it says, Vayas, he did. And over here, it doesn't say he did evil. It says, He wanted to do evil. He wanted to sleep with this married woman, but he didn't do it. Why? Because she wasn't married at that time. A get was given, and later on they find out she wasn't married. It was not adultery, but he intended to do adultery. And that's what the Pasuk says. Uh, the Natan Navi says, you disgrace the word of God to do evil, not that you did evil. That's what Rabbi Yudha Nasi says. It's explicit in the text. David Amelech's crime was he wanted to do evil, but what turned out was he didn't do evil because he was... She wasn't married at that time. So number two is, you killed Uriah through the sword. You're right to kill him, but you should have done it through the Sanhedrin. Uh, you should have judged him through the Sanhedrin. The Lord Danta, not you yourself. You should have sent him to the Sanhedrin, to the judges, to the court. Do it the right way. You accuse someone of treason. You cannot take the law into your own hands, even though you're the king of Israel. Kings of Israel are below the law, not like any other kings in those days. Terrible. Till very recently, uh, there's no idea of a constitutional monarchy. It was all the king was above law. The king could do whatever he wanted. He could kill people. At his whim, we find Henry VIII uh, killed his wives, whatever. It was all above the law. Uh, Jewish king is below the law. The Jewish king is held to a higher level. The king has to send things to the courts. He does have some extra judicial uh, laws. However, not when he's biased. He can't do that when he has involved personally. He cannot use extrajudicial techniques when he himself is personally involved, like in this case. Okay. So first he says, says, you killed Uriah. And then he says, you had him killed by the sword of Ammon. So already the Torah itself is lowering it. It starts off very harshly. But it's lowering it. You had him killed by the sword of Ammon. And you're not going to get punished for this. So uh, so even though it's mentioned in such a harsh way, the Torah itself is lowering it. Amen. Okay. All right. Let's move on to some of the uh, great commentators. Uh, so we said, if you want to look this up, it's in Shabbat and Vav. And uh, it's uh, saying that he didn't sin exactly what it says in the text. And it's also also in uh, Sanhedrin, in Dafkuf Zayn 107. Um, 
okay, over there also talks about this. And over here, I just want to read you what it says over there in the Talmud in Sanhedrin. That Shabbat Sheva was fitting for King David from the six days of creation. She was destined for David from six days of creation. But she came to him in a bad way. So says the, the school of Rabbi Ishmael. Was David, instead of having her at the right time, he ate her like a raw fruit. The time wasn't right, and he took her at the wrong time. So Uriah would have died anyway. She would have been a widow anyway, whether David intervened or not. He just took her early, and that was his mistake, and that's what he was punished for. That's the Talmud Sanhedrin, Dafkuf Zayin, page 107. And uh, so it's interesting. So now let's go through some of the... Uh, so number one is, we have to point out, this is one of the famous cases of Teshuvah in the Torah. The Gemara brings down um, in Moed Katan that there were two main cases of Teshuvah in the Torah. One of them was the sin of the golden calf. We see the Jews did Teshuvah. In fact, the first Yom Kippur in our history was the Teshuvah for the sin of the golden calf. That's where this, this idea of Yom Kippur, Day of Atonement, came from. And Hashem wants us to learn the lesson that whatever a person does, there is Teshuvah. Whatever a person is, however bad, they, whatever they did, all the worst deeds they did, there is a kind of Teshuvah. There's different levels of Teshuvah. That's a different topic, different class. But it just shows us how the power of Teshuvah, even for sinning, uh, idolatry, the golden calf, and number two is this, uh, this King David story. Like King David is the epitome of a bad teshuva. He was very successful at doing teshuva. He said straight away, I've sinned. The power of teshuva is great. Those are the two examples that Gemara brings in Moed Katan of teshuva. So very interesting that we learn from here this idea of teshuva. There is a power of teshuva. It's possible to do teshuva. Uh, we learn how to do teshuva from the stories. And uh, the greatness of King David is the fact that he did the Shuva straight away. He doesn't argue. And in fact, he writes a song of praise of God. Ms. Moore, David, So he writes a song of praise to God when Natan Hanavi comes about Bacheva. Now, why does he sing? The Talmud asks the question, why is he singing a song of praise to God that he sent Natan Hanavi to rebuke him? He should be singing a, should be singing a dirge. Why is he singing a song? It should be something very sad and depressed. Why is he singing a song, a happy song that he sent Natan and Navid to rebuke him about Pacheva? And the answer is that David Amela says, the Quran says, thank God for sending me a guy who knew. Natan and Navid knew how to rebuke me in a nice way and not in a harsh way that I would rebel. Natan and Navid told me a story. I pronounced judgment on myself. I couldn't argue, and I accepted the judgment. And that's a good way, Hashem. Thank you for sending me this prophet Natan, who was wise enough to know how to rebuke me. If you sent me a different prophet who could rebuke me in a very harsh way, I could have got angry. I would have not done teshuva. Thank you for sending me this Natan Navi and not someone else. Thank you, Hashem. So it was a powerful way of rebuke. We have to learn that the method of rebuke. The power of rebuke is great only if a person knows how to rebuke. The Torah says, You will surely rebuke your friend. Don't put a sin on him. Don't make him even worse. When you rebuke him in a harsh way, a person gets worse. 
We get more sinful, it gets worse, instead of getting better. Over here, David Amirak was grateful that Natan Nabi came and, and rebuked him in a very nice way, and that he did Teshuvah. So now let's move on to some of the biblical commentators. The first one is Rabbi Yosef Ibn Kaspi, who lived from 1297 to 1340 CE. And over here he says, Ibn Kaspi says, I have no doubt that David sinned. You cannot deny what it says in the Pasuk. It was evil in the eyes of God when David did. So, and Natan uh, tells David, so we have two extremes among the commentators. One extreme is David was bad, and that's uh, Ibn Kaspi says that, but Ibn Kaspi says David also did the Shuba. And Abarbanel also says that. The Abarbanel, Don Yitzchak, Abarbanel, famous biblical commentator, also in the 15th century, 1492, he, went, he led the Jews out of Spain, 1492. And he also says, there's no doubt that David sinned, the Torah says so explicitly, but he did complete the Shuvah. So, but then we have the other commentators like Rambam, who says that he didn't sin, uh, but Sheba was not married at all, because uh, Uriah says he was a Chittite, he was not Jewish. And there's other commentators, the Al-Sheikh, Ramoshe Al-Sheikh, who was, uh, uh, lived at the time of Rabbi Yosef Karo at Spat, and with Arizal, 1600, uh, around 1600, he passed away, 1600, CE, he says, I accept what the rabbi said in the Gemara. David Amelach, whoever says David Amelach sinned, is making a big mistake. And uh, so he says, You can explain this pasuk in a different way, and uh, that uh, she was not married to Uriah because he knew who Uriah was. David Amelach was the one says Uriah was not Jewish. This interesting, uh, beautiful commentary. I just finished off with this commentary. The Marmoshe al-Sheikh says that when David Amelach beat Goliath, and he cut off his head, he couldn't take off his armor. He was trying to get off Goliath's armor. This guy, Uriah, who was a Hittite, was not Jewish, said to David, if you give me a Jewish girl, I will help you take off Goliath's armor. And David said, okay. Takes off Goliath's armor, and David later on gives him Bathsheba. He gives him Bathsheba, who was meant for himself. He gave him, he gave Uriah Bathsheba. Later on, when they tell him she is the wife of Uriah the Hittite, he says, what? He's still married to her? I just, I thought he was just going to have her once. And therefore, he, David felt obligated to take her away from Uriah. Uriah was not Jewish, according to this opinion as well, like the Rambam. So we have a range of opinions over here. There's a very interesting story. I cannot go into all the great details. I just gave you some little uh, points over here uh, from the from the Pasukim itself. It says David sinned, but we have two major questions on the Pasukim itself. If he sinned, he did adultery, then he was not allowed to marry Bathsheba. There's no way his son from Bathsheba could be a king. So we see from the verse itself, he did not commit adultery. Why not? Did he give her, uh, Uriah, did he give her a divorce? Was he Jewish? Was he not Jewish? Anyway, we have a range of opinions. And I want to wish you all blessings. Shabbat Shalom from Yerushalayim, Yerak Kodesh. Bezrat Hashem, may the merit of King David stand for us. <laughs> we see he did not sin. The merit of King David, uh, a big Baal Teshuvah, he did sin, stand for us. And the merit of his line, Bezrat Hashem, we'll see the Messianic line come back to us. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.